This is the Workin' With series, presented by your host, Hayley Sudbury. Listen in each month to find out who we're working with. Hayley sits down with some of the world's most exciting leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the companies they love, their definition of success, and the real secret behind it all, their superpower. So I'm here today with Anne-Marie Imaphidon, who is the founder of STEMETS, a fantastic program which I've had the opportunity to be involved in. We're here at the spanking brand new Plexal headquarters in East London, quite close to where I live, so again, extremely convenient. <laughs> Thanks for, for meeting with me today, Anne-Marie. Thanks for having me. It is absolutely my pleasure. So why don't you tell us a little bit about STEMETS first? So STEMETS, the kind of the official line is we are a social enterprise, uh, an award-winning social enterprise that operates across the UK and Ireland to inspire, support and encourage young girls and uh, young women actually and girls into what we call the STEM sectors, so science, technology, engineering and maths related careers. Our ethos is that we do everything for free for the girls, there's always fun for the girls and there's always food for them as well. So lots of people have great ideas, but, you know, only a handful only really turn that into something um, great or real. What was it that allowed you to turn STEMETS into what it is today? So I think there's, there's elements of kind of having the idea and getting started. But in terms of turning it into where we're at today, which is nearly five years, I don't think none of it was in, intentional. It wasn't fully intentional. <laughs> so it was a kind of it was an idea that I had um, back towards the end of 2012 after attending a conference in the States. And I got back and did a bit more research, did a little bit more talking to people in, in industry and said, okay, cool. You know, I want to create this kind of in, these safe spaces, these environments for girls to come along, experience technical things. And not only feel comfortable, but enjoy it, like having a great environment for them to just explore it, which they might not have had at school or elsewhere. Um, and so when we began in February 2013, you know, it was, let's make it real. If we make it a thing, then it's easier for people to get involved and for them to support and for it to kind of flourish. But there was also a sense of, you know, let's give it a good go and see where it goes, see where it takes us. So it was always a... Kind of, we knew the core of what we wanted to do. I had the vision, but it, I didn't expect that it would be carried through to this extent. So what didn't you know when you started out that you wish you'd know now? No regrets, I guess. You know, the, this it's one of those things that it's like, yeah, if you, what would you say to your 13-year-old self? Uh, you do you. <laughs> if I'm pushed, what do I wish I knew when I started? I wish I took myself more seriously. It's probably the only thing, actually that I ever wish, and I still wish that today, I wish I took myself as seriously as other people do. <laughs> but I still don't, even though I know I probably should. That's probably it. So we, so we started in February, and by November, we're at number 10, sharing what we'd learned that year and what we've been, been up to and what we did with kind of Minister of Education, Minister of Universities, Minister of Science all around the table, um, which is crazy, right? And it's like, yeah, if they take you seriously, I should have known then, right? If you've been taking that seriously, like not everyone gets to come to number 10. Like a lot of people do, but not everyone. So take yourself seriously because the government are taking you seriously. Uh, so maybe that's it. Hmm. It's quite refreshing not to take yourself too seriously <laughs> as well. Exactly. So yeah, maybe, maybe I don't wish I knew anything, who knows? <laughs> 
So you mentioned, I mean, you had great access into government and thought leaders, I think, from the beginning because it was such an important area. But who was it specifically that championed you along the way? So we've had a number of different um, people and different groups. I think there's kind of two two that I'd call out. One um, was is, you know, we still call them our godmothers, so the godmother Stemets. So it's different women um, that work across industry who have been there and kind of sponsored effectively what we're doing, what's happening, not necessarily financially, but in terms of, you know, I spoke to such and such and they had funding for this, or I spoke to such and such and they were in this city that you want to get into. So they're more than mentors, they're sponsors for the organisation and kind of help things happen and suggest that, you know, that one of them presented on what we do at Davos and, you know, they've done kind of different things like that without us asking or me saying, hey, you're at Davos, do you mind mentioning it? So we've had uh, a group like that. And then the other that I'd call out who were there from the beginning um, are Telefonica. So um, Telefonica own O2, which is the kind of mobile brand that we have here in the UK. And it's also in Spain, but it's called Telefonica in Spain. And they um, have a CSR program that supports young people who have ideas. And they were the first sponsor, basically, the first partner that we had back in 2013. So the first event that we had, they paid for, you know, the room booking, they paid for the camera people that turned up and all the rest of it. Um, and all of our tech events since, or any of our hackathons, it's always their laptops and their materials that we've used. So, you know, they've been they've been a great supporter from the very, very beginning, the very first event before Stemets was even vaguely a thing. So you've spoken about these godmothers, also the support from Telefonica. Can you share another like pivotal moment that got Stemets to where it is today? So we had been running for a year and a bit and we had worked with, you know, a couple thousand girls across the UK and a couple hundred in, in Ireland. And we ended up at a comp at the Innovation Convention in Brussels. And we always have ideas for what we want to do next. Or, you know, if we have more money, if we have more time, if we have more people, here's what we do. And there was an idea that, to be honest, I didn't think we were going to do until now because we're five years in so it was always like you know after five years this will be our big bang thing that we try and, and do and we were at this convention i was speaking um but was sat watching another panel so it was a generation z panel they called it so they had all under 18s on the stage and i think there were about eight of them four of them were girls and four of them were boys or kind of seven of them three of them were boys and these were you know the the next generation our kind of future innovators being showcased on stage the girls, three of the girls had won the Google Science, Global Science Prize, um, and they discovered a bacteria that shortens the germination process for certain crops. There was another girl that had done some more kind of scientific evaluation of her own that, you know, led to discovery, whatever it might be. And they had the, these two boys on this panel, um, and at least two of them were running app companies that kind of just built apps for other people. And I remember watching this panel and sitting there and kind of being like, um, and hearing what they were saying, kind of the extent to which they've been innovative and what they created, but also hearing the opportunities that have been afforded to them. And so these boys, so there was one boy who was 16, was Spanish, and someone had paid for him to live in a flat in Shoreditch, you know, to run this app company. And then you had these three girls from Ireland who had discovered this generation, sent their parents bonkers because they'd, they'd done these experiments all around the house. And um, no one had paid for them to move and live in a flat in Shoreditch. And I thought, as they were talking, I was like, okay, that's interesting. If there was anyone I was going to invest in or anyone that I was going to be the most excited about, no offence to anyone that builds apps, it's not the app building, it's, it's the germination thing. 
And so I was there watching, and, and as they were talking, I was getting more and more annoyed and more and more upset that, you know, a couple of factors are at play here. You've got three teenage girls. We can't possibly move them away from home and transplant them into the middle of London, right? Because we, we have to treat young women like eggs, kind of not <laughs> expose them to anything and not give them opportunities that are worthy of them. But also, you know, someone's seen themselves in this 16-year-old boy. That's why they paid for him to come and live in Shoreditch on his own. As a 16-year-old boy. And so why does no one see themselves in these girls? To the point that they move them to wherever they need to move for this innovation to take off, right? They're solving effectively world hunger and not being taken seriously. And that boy has built apps. And so he's allowed to leave home at 16. And so I kind of got, got more and more annoyed, more and more upset. And then one of the girls said something that was a straw that broke the camel's back. And so they, they were asked by the moderator, you're all under 18, you're all really young, we're adults here that can kind of help you out and can support you, what's your ask to us? What do you wish that we did? Or what's your advice to adults? And this girl, one of the girls, uh, and it's Kira Judge, piped up and said, well, we get patted on the head and we get encouraged and everyone, you know, congratulates us for thinking outside the box. But what they don't do is they don't support us to live outside the box. Which is kind of what I've been thinking all along. <laughs> that she's so eloquently put together as this, I think there was, she was 16 or 15 at this point. And I was like, wow, yeah, we need to help you live life outside that box. Yeah, God damn it. <laughs> and so this idea that we'd had, that we'd scheduled to do, still not done by now, as I'm talking to you, then all of a sudden there was a sense of urgency that before she turns 18, we have to do this because who knows, she might be the next Einstein, she might be the person that solves world hunger. And if we don't take her seriously now, she'll become disadvantaged enough that it's not something she continues to do. Or if not her, there are other girls like her who maybe haven't had that kind of support who will become disadvantaged just because no one's taking them as seriously as moving them all the way to Shoreditch. And of course, moving to Shoreditch is not the goal, right? There's only so much space, this is London. But being able to give young people opportunities regardless of their gender or whatever it might be. So Outbox Incubator was born from that happening. We shopped it around to a couple of people that were interested in trying to joining it and doing stuff, doing innovative stuff with us. And it ended up being Melissa when she, when she was at Salesforce that then picked it up and said, okay, let's run with this, let's make it happen. And Outbox, now if, if you ask me my proudest moment, it's an Outbox moment. It's all the Outbox moments actually, the six weeks. We had 115 young women like Kira, including Kira actually, coming through the house 45 at a time over six weeks. They lived in this house. We had the ecosystem come in and run sessions. We had funding for them, did a demo day where they pitched to a real VC. Um, and those girls built companies, built organisations, some of which are still, many of which are still running today. Um, but more importantly, they built networks that are still super tight, super strong and very business-like. So they're still, you know, they've created websites for each other or they've got each other as advocates in their business or they've got her as co-founder or COO and these are real companies that, you know, are working on Parkinson's d d disease and kind of um, devices that you attach to your shoe to reduce gate freezing or are working on um, public um, science experiments and kind of community science type projects or, you know, these girls are giving TEDx talks and their websites are being built by others. So... It's still quite a close-knit business community of teenage girls, which I don't know how many how many others can say that that's something they've created and nurtured and and been able to make happen. 
So, I mean, many people are talking about this lack of women in STEM and you know, you've shared Outbox. Is it this community of teenage girls which makes your approach so unique? So, no, so our, the, what makes our approach unique is what enabled that community to come together and be as tight as it is. And um, there's many different ways to, that we kind of have now described it, but it, it boils down to this vibe that we call the Stemet Way. Like, there's a Stemet, you've been to Stemet's events yeah. before. I guess it runs through the whole... We don't take ourselves ridiculously seriously, so it's not the most formal event you've ever been to. It's not the most, I don't know, kept to time. It's not the... Like, for us, it's all about... This whole women in STEM and the kind of community, it's about giving the girls an environment where they're just as comfortable sharing maths jokes on Twitter with each other or teaching each other CSS3 as they are blasting journey out at 2am in the morning and singing along to it or making each other cups of tea until they run out of mugs and they make each other tea in bowls and being sat at 1am in the morning reading each other One Direction fan fiction. So it's an incredibly social, incredibly vibey kind of atmosphere where it is free to be there, it is fun, there is food and there are women in STEM but we're able to kind of be human and enjoy ourselves um, in a way that lots of other, other progr- programs don't focus on that, or if they do, there's alcohol present, which we can't do with under teens. Yeah, yeah. So that's I think that's the core of what that's our kind of USP is that feel you get being at an event where it's it's caring but it's fun caring because it, it's that kind of atmosphere, it's a vibe, it's a systemic way. It is, and I mean, these are cracking smart young women, and even I've had to think twice about some of the math jokes. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, let me just work through that again. <laughs> In 10 years, how do you envision the tech industry and what is STEMET's role in getting there? Oh, that's a great question. So hopefully in 10 years, Stemets won't still be here. In 10 years, I'd love for the technology industry to feel a lot more inclusive and a lot more open than it does now. If we look at, and it's the same thing across STEM, there's this whole exclusivity kind of only for geniuses type thing that we've had for far too long and that we perpetuate even though we're not all geniuses and you don't actually have to be a genius to be involved or to play your part. And so that means that a lot of people who maybe lack self-esteem or lack STEM confidence have felt that not only that they can't participate, but it's it's okay that they're not even wanting to try to participate and be involved, which for a world where technology is now ubiquitous, like it's not just the reserve of mass scientists in labs, autonomous vehicles are real. We do have bots doing jobs. Like this is is here, it's now, this is sci-fi, it's real. Sci-fi is now sci-re or whatever, science reality. Um, and so for me, in 10 years, I'd love it to be something where being digital is the same as being, is, is, is actually one of those literacies, is the fourth literacy, which, you know, we talk about quite a lot now, but we're nowhere kind of near it. But a lot more people are able to participate and feel like they can get involved. The same way as you might write a poem for a loved one when their birthday comes around, like, why wouldn't you just build an app for them when their birthday comes around? You know, it's that same kind of, it's a creativity outlet that everyone's able to express but also people understand it enough that they're not at the mercy of their Wi-Fi fridge or their autonomous car. So that's 
my hope for the next 10 years in technology. Of course, there'll be advances and whatever, but everyone's part of those advances. You know, they say the future is here, but it's not evenly distributed. So hopefully it will be in 10 years. In terms of Stemet's role to play, I think we are definitely... Our whole aim has been to change the social norms. I think we're definitely making it so that at least the women feel like it's something they can be involved in, which at the moment, disproportionately, they don't. So something that, whether the girls or young women now, or even women that kind of we encounter or bring their daughters along who aren't involved or who aren't digitally or STEM literate, it's something they feel like, yeah, I can do it because she did it and she did it and she did it. But also, it's not even necessarily a conscious thing they think they can do it. It's just a subconscious. The same way as you don't have to think that you can ride a bike. You just kind of know you can. Even if you can't ride a bike, you know that the motion of moving your legs around and being in balance is something you can probably do. The same sort of kind of ease of access. So I feel that's the next role is, is there to make sure that at least we have this generation of, of girls and young women and there is this multiplier effect where if you impact that young woman, she'll tell her friend, she'll tell her cousin, she'll tell her mum and her aunt. She might even tell her brother or her dad, right? You know, it's not all just about the women, but, you know, that, that we have these people that they are the, the local beacons of technologies here and we should all be involved. What can technologists bring to social enterprises? So technologists can bring a lot to social enterprises. Technology is a, a, a tool at the end of the day for what we already do. So... For technologists, you can bring, you know, things like impact tracking and data is a lot that we're looking into at the moment of how do we, how do we measure impact? How do we, how do we keep track of stories and of kind of the good things that happen, but also the bad things that happen? So technology, technologists can definitely help with that, but also even just conveying a message and spreading that message. You know, we talk a lot about growth hacking, digital marketing, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think ultimately technology has a great capacity to solve problems. And so in the social enterprise space, it is all about solving problems, but with this bottom line, not just a profit bit of people on the planet, right? So technologists have this great capacity to, to, in some ways, solve that in a way that's less intensive, slightly more efficient, and maybe uses AI or whichever technology they're working on. So that's really what I feel is technologists' role, although often they end up creating problems, which is kind of... Not good. <laughs> but that doesn't happen in the STEM Ed's program. No. It's solving them. So, you know, it's a big job. You know, appreciate being an entrepreneur. It certainly does come with its challenges, even for all the, the highlights. Who do you pick up the phone to when things get tough? The godmothers. The godmothers? Yeah, I pick up the phone to the godmothers. Each of them has their own superpower. <laughs> the STEM related things, the godmothers are, are my first port of call. And if not them, then it's women or people actually, not just women in our network who I know have different skills and, and whatever it might be. So yeah, that's that's who I call out to. And you've already mentioned superpowers there, which we kind of know is a really important thing. What are your superpowers? What's my superpower? Uh, I do things really quickly. I can read. I can speed read. That's my superpower. Um, I I don't know. What's my superpower? I can I can host a room. Creative vibes. Yeah. Is yeah, it, yeah. Is it the vibe creation? Because you've talked a lot about yeah, that. Yeah, but I, but even if I'm not there, there's still a vibe. So I'm, I don't have to be there, I guess. So what's my superpower? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it would be. My superpower, actually, is is being able to um, communicate a vision and get people to follow along with it. Yeah. But not in a, 
superpower kind of way. Like, it's not something I do intentionally. Fair enough. So, it's not your fabulous sense of style. Because I am sitting here with Anne-Marie and she has fabulous purple <laughs> uh, pieces through her hair. And quite frankly, with my little blonde bob, I'm feeling extremely conservative <laughs> by comparison. I mean, and the blazer. <laughs> that's right. I had. I was speaking on a panel this morning. Okay, uh, there you go. I'll let you off at, on that at one. a Viva, so it was a little bit more conservative, even though it was in their digital garage. So I, I thought I should, you know, be a little bit more conservative and dressed up for it. Otherwise, I'd be yeah. looking slightly. Maybe different. that's my superpower: the ability to be underdressed for every situation. I'm going to Westminster. I'm on a board at Westminster for DTMS. And I'm, this is how I'm going today with the purple hair and the Adidas, what these gazelle, Stan Smith type things. But you are in technology and you are rocking it. So there we go. I think you. uh, you're owning that space. I can tell you no one else is going to, everyone else in the board is in technology and then none of them are going to rock up like this to the meeting. No. <laughs> Well, I, I like it. Absolutely no fear to be yourself. Exactly. Yeah, that's my superpower. No fear to be myself. There we go. So lastly, what does success look like for you? So for me personally, success is freedom to wake up when I want to and do what I want on any given day. That's success. It's not about money. It's not about things or anything really. It's just about, it's just about that freedom. So I woke up this morning and I came to work because I wanted to come to work and I came to work and did what I wanted to and if we don't want to do something we kind of just say well no and we're we're privileged enough or kind of successful enough to be able to call the shots and say we're not going to work with this company and we're not going to do that on that day so that's, for me personally that's what success looks like for Stimet success will be redundancy success will be when we close the doors and we don't have to do this anymore um, success will be when that social norm has changed. And in a way, success will be when STEMET is a, is a word that gets used widely. It's kind of a new part of the vocabulary for technical young women that doesn't have to feel like she's a geek. Because I was a technical young woman, but I wouldn't call myself a geek, like I, don't, I didn't game or watch Star Wars or Star Trek or any of that kind of stuff. So I would feel out of place at like geek con or whatever, it's called comic con even, sorry, my bad. So that's what success looks like for students, where there's a kind of a new identity or a new social norm created where, you know, the characters we see on TV or in films that are technical, if they're a woman, they're not just longer-haired version of what would have been the guy characters, but they're an actual true reflection of a technical woman, maybe even a student. Redefining the technical woman. Yeah. Redefining or just defining. I just, we don't have an archetype for it. We don't have a person you can point to as an as a country or you know Western civilization. Now you might say Sheryl Sandberg, maybe if you're informed, if you're in the world, in this space. But you could ask someone in technology, name a technologist, they'd be hard pressed, and maybe they'd say Zook. Because we just don't we, we're invisible. You don't see technical female characters on screen ever, unless you're watching hidden figures, and then that's the whole point of the whole project, right? So just to be in the norm, because funny enough, we use the bus, we go to the supermarket, we... We are everywhere. Yeah. We might <laughs> even be next to you now, behind you, tucked up on the shoulder. So we're everywhere, but you wouldn't think that. Watching TV, looking in the papers, you wouldn't think, you think that anyone you do see that's doing it is an exception, whereas actually there are thousands of women doing it, and we don't tell their stories enough. Thousands, thousands of women who, who have done it before... You know, not uh, yesterday or the day before was that Hedy Lamar would have been 150 or something. 
and you know she's not a household name but Wi-Fi is a household is like on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs right and she is the person who built the technology that underpins it but we so we throw out the women when we when it's there. But uh, you know you can tell me everything about Brunel and all the bridges that he did. And every time you go to the bridge, you think of Brunel. Blah 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 blah. But you don't have the stories of these women that we use their stuff all the time. We need to get better at the storytelling. Yeah, just so they're in our conscious. So then you know these physics teachers that you have that say girls can't do physics, they wouldn't have the opportunity to say that because every time they logged onto Wi-Fi, they remember it was good old Hedy, who was a girl. It was also a Hollywood actress, casually in her spare time did it. Then you have no leg to stand on, really, do you? Because even if girls didn't do physics, Hedy did that, you use that quite a lot. So she kind of did enough physics for all the girls. Absolutely. Well, um, I guess for everyone, it's about making sure you know who Hedy is. Mm-hmm. But also, we've like had a creative vibe, but I think that's probably a unique skill to, to Anne Marie. <laughs> And I wish them every success in the future and we'll continue to support them as well and look forward to hearing more of these powerful, amazing stories of the women coming through who are redefining what it means to be technical. Thank you, Anne-Marie. You've been listening to the Workin' With podcast series. You can find us on iTunes and at workinwith.com. That's W-E-R-K-I-N with dot com. Mm-hmm.